0: This is Chad Dull, and welcome to my Poverty Informed podcast. Uh, Today I'd like to share an article I wrote on September 23rd of 2018 uh, about uh, a personal story and about the power of belief. Uh, It's actually one of the more popular things I've written, Uh, I think in large part because, again, it is a personal story. Um, When I talk about kind of my family history, I always go out of my way to make sure that I point out I'm not the hero of the story. Uh, In many ways, my parents are. Uh, They're flawed and complicated and uh, my mom's gone now, but my my dad is still here and actually a relatively young guy because he was a pretty young parent. Um, But about a year ago, I had asked him if I could share some of his story that he hadn't shared with very many people, and I hadn't really shared with anyone. Uh, And I was grateful that he said yes, because I think it teaches us a lot about how uh, to work with people um, escaping the crisis of poverty. So today I'd like to share something called poverty-informed practice in higher education. Everyone deserves another chance, a story about my dad and the power of belief. My dad is sort of a local legend, and truthfully, I've been reluctant to share his story. But the story teaches me everything about redemption, second chances, and belief. I have a pretty clear memory of a visit to stay with my dad in the mid-70s. My parents were married as teens uh, and ended up a few years later with a pretty amicable divorce, and I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with both of them although the custom of the time meant my mom had primary custody and I saw dad on weekends and more in the summer. Now the reason I remember this particular visit was mom dropped me and my little brother I think although I'm not sure. She dropped us off at an apple orchard where dad might have been working at the time. I remember he was staying in a tent and had a cook stove and we had a nice camping adventure. Now if I'd been a little older camping in an orchard might have seemed unusual But at the time, it was just an adventure. Fast forward to June of 2018, and I was at a Dr. Donna Beagle workshop. And Dr. Beagle talked about how only middle class people could invent camping. She said her family often camped, which was just a euphemism for being homeless for a while. And a light bulb went on for me. So the next time I saw my dad, we were on a trip to visit family, and I asked him about that visit. And sure enough, Dad was homeless that summer. In fact, he confessed to me 40 years later that he had actually stolen that tent. And I'm assuming he stole the stove, too. Now, I could add this story to my collection of stories from the first 10 years of my life, and they demonstrate how situational ethics are and how easy it is to do the right thing when times are good. Dad also stole a tree once to make sure we had wood to heat the house we were in. And I have a vague recollection of him shooting a partridge once out of season so we could eat. Now, maybe he remembers it differently. Those days were objectively hard, I suppose, but I didn't really know that until I was older. Dad was fun and our collection of Volkswagen vans that seemed to not have heaters or occasionally catch fire didn't seem to faze him. He must have been stressed out beyond comprehension, but I don't remember seeing it. In hindsight, I can see the insidious hand of poverty pushing him away from his dreams and into choices that made less sense all the time. That came to a head when I was about seven or eight, ah, maybe nine, I'm not sure I recall, Poverty causes desperation, and as my dad's family grew, so did his desperation. My weekend visits to his small home in the middle of nowhere now involved sleeping in the living room, because upstairs the solution to our problems was drying and getting ready for sale. It was the 70s, so marijuana wasn't an unusual thing in either of my homes, but Dad had figured out he knew how to grow it, and someone convinced him he could sell it for real money. I remember talking the house of $10,000 in a trip to Hawaii, but honestly, my memories of that time are spotty. I do, however, remember clearly the day Dad and some friends of his were sitting at our table, playing cards or a board game, and suddenly there was an army of police in the front yard. I remember standing outside while they searched the house, and I remember telling my dad that I thought the police might have missed a bag, And him saying to me, good, that would help pay for an attorney. Of course, the police found everything. And my most searing memory of that day is overhearing the police say they couldn't reach my mom. And maybe my brother and I would need to go to foster care until they could reach her. There were, of course, no cell phones in those days. But fortunately, the police were able to reach my mom and my brother and I went home. Dad ended up being sentenced to 30 days in jail. And I suppose his story should have ended there, but it didn't. After his relatively brief time away, you know I often wonder what the sentence would have been in this day and age, dad decided that his real dream was to be a teacher and a coach. Now that dream didn't make a lot of sense for a convicted felon, but he believed and belief matters. Dad returning to school became a family project, although in fairness I was only a part-time participant. My siblings who lived with him saw more. But I do remember a change jar to save for tuition. I remember a Ford Pinto with over-inflated tires to get better mileage and occasionally too many people stuffed in it. And I remember a family on a mission. I also remember Dad bringing home Shakespeare books and being on fire as he got a chance to stretch the intellect everyone knew he had. My dad is a charismatic guy and we were all on fire with him. Belief is contagious and people around Dad began to believe in him, too. His advisor at college knew that the world needed my dad in the classroom, and Dad has shared that every time money was running out, some would just mysteriously show up. He later realized that his professor took care of some of that because of his belief in my dad. That professor changed my life without ever meeting me, and it's inspired me to pay that forward including developing an emergency fund at my own college that honors the practice of faculty helping students directly. Just a few weeks ago I was able to give a speech to the entire college and start our fund with a matching donation of my own. All of that belief led to my dad teaching ninth grade for 30 years. He has a gift for being genuinely interested in young people and their lives. His doorway at school was always full of students from the moment he arrived, often the most vulnerable kids in the building. He won national recognition for organizing a renaissance fair run entirely by his students. I remember that being written up in USA Today. Like me, he's also a basketball coach, although he has nearly 400 wins. I have a great picture of him after win 300 surrounded by family. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, He's a genuine local legend. So what does all this teach us about poverty-informed practice? Everything. We must approach students not to give them just a second chance, but another chance. My dad could have been written off at many points, but those additional chances led to so much payback for the world. This story also teaches the power of belief not only do our students need us to believe in them we need to help them create a sense of belief and self-efficacy that will protect them from the inevitable ups and downs they will experience college professors believed in my dad just because they could see his gifts and that changed the whole course of my family and this story teaches us to never underestimate potential if we don't believe in students Sometimes, before they believe in themselves, the world might miss out on the gifts they bring. They might miss out on the gifts that someone like my dad had to give back. Poverty-informed practice does not throw people away. The world needs everyone.